ignore customers and their feedback at your peril, like that you will not succeed if you're not listening and responding to your customers. The other thing though I'd say about, about user testing in general is to, to be sure to look for broad patterns. So one of the things that I see sometimes in companies is they'll listen to power users or the loudest user. And what you really want to do is aggregate feedback from across your customer base. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast. If you could ask an alien from outer space one question, what would it be? Last week, the U.S. Congress held its first hearing on UFOs in 50 years. At the hearing, a Navy intelligence official told lawmakers there was no evidence of aliens. However, a database of reports of UFOs now includes about 400 incidents, up from 143 assessed in the same report released about a year ago. For this week's Insight segment, where we get your feedback on a range of topics, from current news and trends to how teams are using Insights to improve their customer experiences, we ask folks from around the world what they would ask an alien if they could only ask one question. Here's what they said. I had one question to ask someone from another planet or solar system, what would it be? One question to ask someone from another planet. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would ask them from another planet. Um, I would be curious to know on their planet or their solar system, um, do they live the way that we do on Earth? Um, do we or do they, you know, use cars? Are they having global warming issues? Um, kind of learn from them. Like, do they want to be our friends? Maybe I'll ask, how is your planet? Is that good to live? Maybe we could pay a visit there. I would ask them questions to see the differences and similarities that might exist on their planet or solar system. Example, is there water? How is their culture like? Yeah if I could go with them. Mm, where do you come from? That's one or other could be, how did you get in here? As for my profession, I am a physician doctor and uh, I'm working uh, in a hospital. And if I were to go ask one question, I would oh, definitely ask about their body. I think um, I would like to know uh, if they have a currency there or if they have like education because you will wonder how will they create their their own uh, their own spaceship and how do they like protect each other or cure any disease because that's that's what we have right now there are uh, there's a pandemic 
and then there's a lot of things going on also how do they care about their their planet so i suppose like a good question for our time would be um have you figured out how to live in harmony as a single species and if so how was that figured out like was it because like yeah i suppose that's a that's a fairly okay question to ask aliens one of my initial thoughts was that everyone took time to thoughtfully answer the question and that most questions were related to better understanding aliens as beings not only about how they believe they compare themselves to humans but also around their thoughts and perspectives on how to fix some of the biggest challenges we have here on earth it was equally interesting to hear what our contributors are thinking about these days too such as resolving the pandemic environmental challenges getting along with one another even though we all have differences what question would you ask hmm Now, on to our interview. Hi everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, and today we're very excited to have Bobby Wood joining us on the Human Insight podcast. Bobby is the founder and CEO of UX Content Collective, where she provides online courses in UX writing to designers, transitioning writers, and recent college grads. She is also the former head of UX content strategy for Google Payments and Google Assistant Transactions. Thanks so much for joining us today, Bobby, and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Janelle. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, UX Content Collective, and what's keeping you up at night these days? Wow. Okay, so that's a, that's a lot of questions all packed into one. Um, <laughs> I grew up in Cupertino, so I'm kind of like a Silicon Valley native, and I've kind of grown up almost with Apple. It was down the road, you know, the first Apple building. Um, so I feel like I've grown up just immersed in technology, and um, I started working in tech companies. Writing was my, my gig, and uh, I started out as a tech writer and then eventually moved my way into design and UX writing um, and eventually worked at, at Google, led teams there for content and then started my own company, which is UX Content Collective. Um, the mission there is to, you know, really our goal is to teach humans and computers how to talk to each other best. And our job with designing an interface is to make sure that um, the data inputs that users bring uh, come back with the best results from the server or the software that they're using. And that's a very simple way to describe what's actually a very complex interaction or set of interactions. Um, so that's what the company focuses on. Um, what keeps me up at night? I think the speed and rate of change of technology is crazy. So um, yeah, I think we're in a period of hyper growth uh, on the technology side. And that's something that um, is sort of going to manifest over the next five or 10 years in interesting ways, I think. Do you think most companies inherently understand the value of having good content, good writing, and you know, vetting design with 
with actual humans? I do. The smart ones and the successful ones, at least, right? You ignore your customer and your research at your own peril. And um, these days, you know, UX has very much proven its return on investment. Like the value is very clear. Um, Companies who listen to customers and respond to customers and build for customers to solve problems are really the ones that are succeeding. So, um, you know, one of the the areas around content and and UX that I think has always been important, but seems to be a bit more in the limelight these days, and I don't even know if that's the right word to use, Um, but this notion of making sure that whatever experience that you provide is inclusive of everyone, is accessible, Mm -hmm. and you know, is generally built in a way where everyone feels like the experience has been created with them in mind. Um, So how do you think about that for writing? I think that translates fairly well to design, if you will. Um, But what's the connection between those important principles and UX uh, content strategy and, and writing and copywriting? That's a really interesting question. So having worked, you know, everywhere from tiny little startups, including my own, to gigantic companies like Google, where you have a customer base of billions, which is literally kind of mind blowing when you're when you're doing that work. There's very much a tension between using, you know, low key informal colloquialisms and like really connecting to people through colloquial language versus using universal plain language. And um, that tension is something that we can sometimes mitigate with good localization or translation um, practices. So for example, if we make a joke in American English, we might be able to translate or localize that joke to German or, you know, Canadian English or, you know, even some sub variations of English that we see in, in regional areas, um, which is fascinating to me to figure out where, where is that happy path that runs between those, um, the, you know, that, that answers to that tension and serves both the giant audience and the very specific audience. I guess when you think about sort of what you just shared around uh, making sure content is approachable and accessible and clear. Like, what are the ways to make sure that that's actually happening? Like, how do you, how, if, if I'm a writer and I want to get something out into the world, whether it's through my company's website or, or maybe some other way that I'm communicating, like, how do you, like, and I guess it, for, for, lack of a better word, how do you like user test it? How do you test it? Oh my gosh. So that, that is, um, that's a hard question. So there's, there are comprehension tests like closed testing, C-L-O-Z-E. Um, and I know, of course, you know all about this, Janelle, because you're at user testing. Um, but, you know, there, there are comprehension tests that you can use. And even basic usability testing is absolutely key. Um, one of the things I always teach when I'm talking about usability testing is that when your user stops talking, that's when you start listening. So when that user has stopped talking, they've probably got that, you know, the hamster wheel is turning in their head and they're trying to figure out what the heck 
they're reading, they're trying to process. Um, and so to understand, you know, whether or not your words are simple enough, your sentences are short enough, um, your instructions are clear and, and almost obvious, right? We want them to be so obvious that the user almost doesn't remember reading them. So if the user stops and you're, you, you've hit a wall of silence, that's when to ask the user, okay, what's going on now? You didn't, you know, you, something's happening. You're not understanding your expectation didn't match what happened. Um, you're not sure what your next right action should be. Do you think that in addition to listening, and I, I love that tip of when they stop talking, you start listening. <laughs> um, do you think that people are good at recognizing when writing is just too complicated? Or I guess I guess the question is when you're when you're testing this type of content, you can observe and, and listen and watch for maybe places where people see things that are too complex and are hard to understand. Are they also good at saying things like, this is really complicated? Or are people do people tend to be more like kind of pretend they understand what it means because they don't want to look like they don't. Do you know that's really interesting question, Janelle? There, there's um because we know people have huge ranges in their personality. They have huge ranges in reactions. Yeah. So you know if somebody feels like it's their fault that they don't understand, they might start apologizing, right? And so then you're like, oh no no no, it's not your fault. It, it's on us. We have to write it better. Or you might have, you know, somebody who gets a little angry or agitated or frustrated, like, you know, this doesn't make sense. So, um, so I don't think you'll, you ever can sort of gauge those human reactions and map them as like, you know, one-to-one for reactions to, um, complexity, you know, even the reactions to complexity are complex. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great point. Humans are, are all so different and your point around the range, right? It's our job to recognize Yes. How the emotion tracks to uh, what the challenge is or what the issue is. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you started Content uh, Collective in 2018. Is that correct? Yeah. We were were tinkering around in 2018 and we launched in 2019. Um, Yes. And um, ever since, you know, it's been a, a ride and a journey. It's been super fun. Um, for me going from sort of managing within large companies to running my own company, boy, you get called out on all the things you thought everybody else should do. And now it's on you to do it. (laughs) Yeah. So I can imagine that. (laughs) Yeah. It's been fun. So what are some of your most popular courses that people take or, or lessons? Um, so our, our flagship course, if we were going to call one of them a flagship course is our UX writing fundamentals course. Um, interestingly, that was the first course that we started with. I was going to write a book and then I thought to myself, you know, who wants another book? What people need is hands-on practice and feedback about what they're writing and what they're learning. And so I was very excited to deliver it as, um, an online course instead of a book. That's awesome. Yeah. And the course has been um, very successful. Um, Our clients, you know, our ServiceNow, Intuit, Boomi, Shopify, Uber, Wells Fargo, Thomson Reuters, Electronic Arts, like we just have this 
um, really impressive to me. I feel very proud of our, our client list. And, you know, those tend to be like a few people from those companies because there are so few content designers. Um, but it's fun to me that we're, we're out there kind of teaching the industry how to do it best. Yeah, those are some great logos. And to imagine that you're influencing customer experiences that impact millions, billions of people. It's a special, it's special. It is. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. So speaking of uh, content uh, designers and content writers, when employees or employers, or companies, teams looking to hire uh, somebody as a content strategist, what are they typically looking for? Like what makes a good UX uh, content strategist or writer? So an interesting thing that is actually hard to teach, speaking of online learning and teaching, it's very hard to teach um, what UX writers are absolutely best at. And that is both looking at content and narrative on a macro level. So sort of looking at storytelling and cohesiveness between products or between devices or interaction modes. Um, and then the other side of the coin for UX writing is zooming all the way into specific word choice and little tiny microcopy. So, you know, you've got this marriage of broad content strategy with um, tiny structured word choice and essential communication. So I love that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Macro and micro. I love that. It's like a really nice visualization too. thinking sort of like big thinking big picture, like you said, across channels or experiences or products, and then down into uh, the tiny little word choices that seem tiny, but actually are really have huge impact, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember the the notion of microcopy and even, you know, testing different calls to action, for example, to see like which one is actually going to drive more engagement. We actually had customers um, that have, before they've actually gone live with a design, they before they A-B test, like in some cases, they'll have two or three uh, options that they'll put out. The design will be exactly the same. The interaction is exactly the same. The only thing that's different is the word that they use on the button. Yes. And what they do is they put like eight versions of it through user testing, or at least get initial feedback from people to say, okay, which one are people, which ones are people gravitating towards the most or which ones are resonating the most. So when we do push them out to AB, that these are the best two or three out of the eight right. teen right. <laughs> that we're yeah. thinking of, because there's no no shortage of options. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that um, testing is always compelling and interesting and fun, but it can't stop there, right? So once your user clicks through on that, you know, the button that that created the, the highest level of engagement. Did that button also keep the user moving forward through the next three screens, right? So like that one isolated interaction, you might be like, yes, we have a winner. We know the words, the key words, but it's really, um, the testing has to continue through the whole experience so that you really understand the flow and the success of the task completion. Um, you know, so to me, I love the idea of, of testing those little isolated word choices, um, but it's really about usability in general. So it should always be kind of through that lens. 
Yeah, absolutely. Kind of uh, keeping your promise, if you will. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Once somebody clicks on something, yeah, is it is it what they expect? Does it does it meet or you know is it what they thought it was going to be when they read yeah. that? Does it meet their expectation? That's right. And does it continue to meet that expectation as they as they move forward? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think it's interesting, you know, talking about the skills of great uh, UX content strategists and writers, sort of the macro um, lens, and then also down to the micro copy, like we just talked about. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about a, a recent uh, Q&A that you did around how AI will impact UX writing. And oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to give a, a, your quick view on that? And then we we solicited feedback from UX writers and content writers from around the world asking their thoughts about AI and their careers. And I, I wanted to watch them with you and get your reactions. But before we do that, you know, what can you uh, kind of summarize for listeners your thoughts on how AI will impact UX writing? Wow. Okay. So that is um, that's a big question that I might have five different answers for. <laughs> I think a lot of it is is um, TBD. And what I mean by that is that we're now in this n- kind of nascent phase where we're trying to understand what AI is capable of. And what it's capable of is hugely powerful. It can... It's, it's, it's blown past our, you know, 10 years ago idea of what a Turing test might involve. So computers, AI, can already sound like a human. Like it, it easily can pass itself off as being a person. Um, and the question is, is it smart enough to sustain a conversation? Um, is it smart enough to adapt when it's given guidance from a human? And sort of, you know, when we think of AI now, these language models are very sophisticated and they're trained on these massive um, uh, training body, you know, bodies of training data. And um, so they can imitate human communication quite well, but there are a lot of nuances to human communication that it cannot address yet. And it'll probably get there. So, you know, the interesting thing is, um, on the TBD is what direction will it go and who's directing it and who's teaching it, right? These are all big questions today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's generally and so so important for the writing piece, but generally also in AI, sort of like the, it really is so dependent on on who yeah, yes. is actually building the model and the input right. uh, that we're getting from different places. Right. That is something... Uh, you know, when I asked you what keeps me, what keeps you up at night, that's one of the things that keeps me up at night. Yes. I don't know <laughs> if you've ever watched, uh, gosh, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the, the show, but it's on Netflix and it's all about the models behind um, the training models and who's influencing these algorithms. I uh, I have not watched that, Chanel, but I would love to watch that. <laughs> that sounds yeah, really Yeah, let, let me pull it up. And I'm a huge sci-fi fan. And so... Um, you know, I love I love to sort of understand, and sci-fi has really informed our 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 direction, our cultural direction in so many ways, right? Like sci-fi writers wrote about going to space long before we went to space, and it's just interesting the way 
you know, they, they put the ideas out there and then sometimes they do become reality. Mm. Not, not so much we hope on the black mirror vision. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's called coded bias. It's, um, ah, awesome. It's, okay. uh, it's funny. This woman, I actually saw her speak at a conference in Boston. It was a very small conference. Uh, and when I heard her speak, I was so captivated. Her name's Joy, uh, Boy Lamuini. And um, she's an MIT Media Lab researcher, and I was so captivated by her talk, and I was thinking, "My, this woman is amazing! Like she's, she is like a, approaching a topic that uh, I think sometimes we're even too scared to explore on our own." Yes. Now I see her Netflix special, and I'm like, "Oh wow, yeah!" So I'm I'm thrilled for the um, attention and. Uh, the spotlight that's being put on this. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because right now I think people, I'm, and I mean like, you know, the general population feels very much like it's still 25 years out. And in fact, it might be three to five years out, you know, and right. these huge. And some of this tech is already deployed. Yes. Like, absolutely. Yeah. So when we look at predictive, predictive text, you know, GPT-3 right now is outstanding at predictive text. So um, as a quick example, somebody in my family had a surgery recently, and it was it was performed laparoscopically. And they sent a family email sort of updating everybody, oh, the surgery went well. And I started to write back, oh, I'm so happy that, um, and the predictive text said, that um, I'm so happy that the surgery was was less invasive. Oh wow! Yeah, and I I was about to write that, but it popped in there before I before I even started really typing anything that would indicate that that's what I was going to say. Wow! So um, it, the predictive capabilities are you could say they're they're delightful and astounding and fun. Or you could say they're a little bit terrifying and what does it mean? And it sort of makes us question like, where is that going? And, you know, what's next for that? So will it start reading our emotions and, you know, speaking to us based on um, our cameras and our facial expressions or even the, the set of words that we use to communicate something? It can pull out an emotional sentiment from that and respond to us. And then... Pr- and then provide the predictive yes. text yes. based on that. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's such an interesting topic. It is. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, it is wild. That's a really that's a really good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, we did solicit some feedback from UX writers and, and content writers around the world asking them their thoughts around AI and their careers as as writers. And so I want to play a couple of clips. The first one uh, is really around whether or not they felt that AI and robots uh, would uh, take over their jobs. (laughs) And so let's watch this together. Uh, So step three, it says, do you think AI will replace your job? If so, why? When? If not, why not? Oh, wow. No, I don't think so. AI could certainly replace my job, not in the near future, though. I contribute to a bulletin that gets released twice a week, and I think that a human touch um, is is best there, whereas if I think of AI doing it, I think it would just be 
straightforward facts and it wouldn't read well. So I am a lead user researcher. Um, will you AI replace my job? Yes. There are already elements of it that is doing my job for me, such as tagging and um, transcribing. But you need a human, I would argue, to kind of situate and think about what lens the research is being done by. But um, I'm a big believer in AI taking over almost all jobs um, at a certain point. I do think eventually AI will take over my job as well. Um, it's not a really a big fear of mine because there's always going to be some kind of work and um, it's not too big of a deal because there's always gonna be someone supervising the AI. I like to think of I have a little bit more personality than AI. So I could see AI taking over very basic tasks that I honestly don't even want to do. But I don't think it could ever take over my whole entire job. AI will definitely replace some parts of my job in the in the mid to near future. I don't I don't foresee um, a bot being able to uh, strategize and take in research um, and do that. But who knows? The only part that couldn't be done, at least at this point, um, is when I, you know, do customer interviews, interview people in my company to kind of gather that like primary intelligence that kind of goes into writing content. I'm also responsible for having soft skills, the human touch of interaction with clients and teams within my company. Uh, I don't think that ki that kind of uh, work can be replaced by AI in the near future. Not as long as I'm alive. My, my hilarious response to that is to quote Elon Musk from that famous um, South by Southwest interview where he said, fools about everybody <laughs> who thought AI was not going to take over the world so or take over their jobs. Um, AI will do amazing things in the future if we allow it to and if we build it to do that. So um, that's one of the huge TBDs that we're dealing with with AI is how will we manage it going forward? And will companies decide that AI is the best route or will they stick with humans to do jobs because humans like work and like to be busy and like to have value? So um, these are huge questions, culturally huge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, with writing, um, I also think about even UX research and the analysis that goes on behind the scenes, right? Yes. Uh, when you were saying your example of, you know, somebody might seem frustrated uh, or when they're reading something complex or somebody might start apologizing like, oh, I should know what this means. Like it takes somebody's somebody to analyze that situation to say, oh, they're saying that because this is Com too complex for them, or they're right. acting this way because of that. And I think there's like kind of some interesting parallels there between, you know, that takes a, a person to objectively evaluate the situation. And same thing with writing. I think it takes a person to sit down and think about the macro strategy that we were talking about, the micro strategy, and like, does AI ever get to a place where it can do that work or maybe even guide it? Mm -hmm. Um like you said, I think it's TBD and a really interesting topic to think about. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So back to the clips. Uh, in this second one, uh, we asked, what advantages do you think humans have over AI when it comes to writing? What advantages do you think humans have over AI when it comes to writing? Just having like a soul, really. You have to have like a soul to be able to come up with different forms of writing, different patterns, different love, like loving in writing, you know? Um, I think tone. Um, getting the right tone and sentiment across is probably um, the advantage at this point that I would think that a human would have um, over writing. Anything to do with creativity, in my view, comes from a source. You can call it the divine or the universe or energy or um, frequency. Um, it's a spark and that, I would argue, cannot be replicated. You have more pizzazz, you have more zest, you have more personality, you're more lively, literally. I mean, I don't doubt that AIs can probably do simple things like box standard things, but if you really want something with that feels truly, let's say, human, then I think that an algorithm will not be able to replicate this to a proper extent anytime soon. So like I mentioned before, I think the whole aspect of emotion is very important when it comes to writing the whole aspect of relatability with other humans. When I'm writing something, I need to know my audience. I need to know, I mean, anyone can write content, but will the audience really relate? It's, it's the words you use, the way you use the words, the way you put things, the way you weave a story. That's very important. Um, uh, up until two years ago, I thought that could never be replicated by AI, but I was, a few months back, I came across, during some projects, I came across an AI that uh, not only replicated emotion through speech, but it also replicated emotions in writing, and I was captivated. And that scared me, you know, that really scared me. So humans definitely have the advantage of understanding other humans, but somewhere it feels like AI is catching up, and uh, it's scary. So, Bobby, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, this is interesting because um, I, there's something about people answering this question that just sparks such love in my heart. I don't even know how to describe it. But we as people, we understand that, that when someone references a soul or a spark or empathy or emotion, this is what makes us human. And it's what... AI will never substitute for. So we will always seek that connection. So whether AI is capable of imitating that and in a satisfying way is really the question that remains to be seen. So I can tell you, I have directly observed things like um, an AI voice calling a person and having a conversation with them the person would never know that it was not a human. The AI is capable, and this was at Google, the AI is capable of responding in very human-like manners um, down to little like voice fluctuations or like little, you know, funny little grunts or breaths, you know, that you wouldn't expect to come from an AI, but which we're used to hearing as human cues to emotion or... Um, and so I think that 
humans will always seek humans and that that's something we'll never get around. So that yeah. part I think is. Cool. I think you're right. Especially in situations where it's a, an emotionally charged discussion or something that, um, you know, requires a level of empathy from another human being. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we get there someday or may- maybe it's just more guided. I, I know, I think it's Humana, uh, which is a medical yes. provider insurance company, yeah. something along those lines. I probably should know the definition of that before I share the story, but in their call center, they actually have real time sentiment analysis that sits on top of what the caller is saying. Yes. And then the, it actually provides suggestions to the call center rep on how to respond. Right. And I find that really interesting and fascinating and super helpful, right? For people who might not be able to completely extract uh, the context or the emotion from the caller. Um, that was my take on it. What do you think? I have mixed feelings about that. You know, we all have, um, we've all dealt with an AI that isn't responding appropriately. Right. So Mm -hmm. sometimes like, what if you're being sarcastic or something and the AI misinterprets what you're trying to say, it could go wrong. Um, the, the the true fact is that that's that layer of software that's suggesting that script and that response, you could take the human right out of that equation and just apply voice to that conversation and the computer could handle it. Mm-hmm. The computer could deliver that script or um, the AI system. Mm-hmm. So I think there is like huge risk for people to, to you know, lose their jobs or, or, not understand anymore how we fit in a workplace mm. or even how we operate as customers because we've all gone into a situation where we 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 realize we're speaking with an AI um, and we're very frustrated because we just know, you know, sort of in our hearts or, you know, in our bodies or whatever it is in our minds, right. we know that this is a machine we're talking to and that machine doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And so no matter how much a machine tries to imitate caring, it doesn't care. And this is something that I think we can't get away from. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then people have figured out ways to get around that too. Like there's nothing worse than being in a phone tree, right? <laughs> and you're like, representative exactly. or right. start swearing. <laughs> Somebody exactly. wrote me to a human. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yep. For sure. Well, Bobby, this has been uh, really great. We're going to move into our lightning question round. And this is a set of questions that we ask every guest uh, that comes on to the podcast. So um, Uh what's a book that you've recently read that you'd recommend to our listeners? So I can't recommend a book because I read a lot of like trashy sci-fi for fun. So... (laughs) That works. However, I will recommend a newsletter. Um, I really love The Marginalian by Maria, um, what is her name? Maria Popov? Yeah, Popova. Sorry, Maria Popova. And it's called The Marginalian. And it's, it is um, a discussion of human philosophy. It's a wonderful newsletter. It's amazing. It's been going for years. She's incredible. If you have a chance, check it out. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely going to sign up for this. I'm just pulled it up on my on my browser. It looks really interesting. Yeah. Um, 
Awesome. So, and then what's one piece of advice that you'd give to someone uh, who's trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback? I think we discussed this a little bit earlier, you know, ignore customers and their feedback at your peril, like that you will not succeed if you're not listening and responding to your customers. So um, the other thing though, I'd say about, about user testing in general is to, to be sure to look for broad patterns. So one of the things that I see sometimes in companies is they'll listen to power users or the loudest user. And what you really want to do is aggregate feedback from across your customer base. Mm-hmm. So that's my my biggest piece of advice. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, we tend to really hear our loudest, noisiest, unhappiest customers. But you're right, making sure that you're uh, pulling from a good mix of your customer base is, I like that. That's that's great advice. Um, and then when you think about the future of the UX industry, and in particular, UX writing or UX content strategy, what are you most excited about? Wow. So um, I love the idea of augmented reality and voice interaction modes. Um, I don't love the metaverse. <laughs> mm. You know, that's a, um, I don't love taking us out of reality. I don't love substituting our experiences. I do love augmenting our experiences. Mm-hmm. So that's probably what I'm most excited about is where those um, those interaction modes will go. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Bobby, on the Human Insight Podcast. Uh, for listeners, go check out Bobby's uh, UX Content Collective. And we are a partner of yours. So I think we are featured in some of the courses as well. Um, But yes, uh, love, love what you're doing. I love the knowledge you're sharing. Uh, I wish uh, every company uh, could hire hundreds of content. Me too. Me (laughs) too. And writers. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Janelle. Yeah, of course. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.